At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Confession is a necessary habit to have in our walk with Christ. It's something that can be uncomfortable or bring up feelings of guilt and shame. Even though we may be hesitant to confess our sins, He reminds us in His Word how vital confession is to our relationship with Him. In Psalm 51, David comes in full surrender, bringing his sin, shame, and guilt to God, asking for a renewed spirit and a cleansed heart. Join us in a new series titled, Confessions, Erasing Shame and Experiencing Renewal, where we'll learn why practicing confession is so important. I have the privilege of preaching to you today, bringing you the word, so I appreciate the opportunity, church. I wanted to uh, start out this sermon by saying, has anybody, uh, does anybody remember the game Mercy? Anybody play the game Mercy growing up? I see a lot of hands here. You're like excited about it. Mercy, uh, two people would like grasp their hands like this, and you'd essentially, it's, it was like a game of power, uh, like a middle school playground game where you would try to hurt the other person and try to bend their fingers, bend their arms, and if the person gave up, they would say the word, Mercy, mercy, right. Uh, anybody want to like come up on stage and, and play this game with me right now? What? No, okay, no, get, no, no. Wow, I'm, I'm a little scared of who raised no. I know, Vince, you would beat me, man. You would beat me. We're not going to do that on the pulpit. But mercy, uh, mercy now means asking the person who has the power to punish you or harm you to show you compassion or forgiveness instead. Fast forward a generation, uh, or back up a generation, anybody remember the words, say, uncle? Yeah. yeah, oh man, even more people, especially from Christmas story, like you would say uncle instead, instead of mercy. So very classic games. Sometimes people seem to believe that they are playing a game of mercy with an unbenevolent bully God. These are their claims about God, saying that he is their source of pain and struggle. They say if God is real... And he's the all-powerful creator of all things, that he must be a bully, because why else would he allow such awful things to happen in this world, in my life? Haven't we all cried out, I have cried out, similar things to this? In this narrative, God is both the source of our pain and the source of our relief. And so we, we, we often deflect, we refuse to accept that the agony and the struggle that we all experience is, uh, is to our lack of our character and not his. And so, but the, the common 21st century American anthem is to shift the blame and deflect so that we don't have to admit that there might be something wrong with us. J.P. Moreland says that in the Christian story, quote, God isn't the author of evil, rather it is his holiness that defines it. Evil is a lack of goodness, it is goodness spoiled. Saying that evil isn't an, arguments, uh, an argument against God, it's almost an argument for God, because by his holiness we can identify that is evil. And that's where this biblical narrative begins. We see that since the origin of this world, God created a perfect, unblemished world. He created us uh, perfect and holy, and he is a good and holy God. But our choice, Adam and Eve's choice, it's easy to point the finger and say, Adam and Eve, why would you sin? 
We would have done the same thing. They, they turned, they sinned. They thought they could find greater happiness, greater satisfaction, uh, greater pleasure on their own. And so the fruit of their sin was death. And so to illustrate this today, I, I got some bins here. Um, this is kind of my thing. Like I, I love object lessons. And uh, I think we all learn in different ways. And so I've got a bit of a science experiment. Does anybody, uh, anybody here for Flip Camp the last couple of years, by a show of hands, you recognize the name Dr. Tsunami? Like, I've taken, I've just seen some laughing. I've taken on this persona of Dr. Tsunami because we had a, like a water theme one year, and I was the STEM science experiment persona. So I'd have this lab coat on, and so I, I love this kind of stuff where I bring in some science experiments, and so that's what we're going to do today. So to illustrate our sin, our, uh, this, the fruit of our sin is death. Got my gloves because I don't know what's, what this is going to do to my skin. This narrative is that God has created us perfect and holy, but it was our choice that we found uh, sin and greater happiness somewhere else. And to illustrate that, I've got a bottle of sin right here. Don't, you can't find this at stores. So you got a bottle of sin here. It's definitely not iodine. It's definitely not iodine. And so our choice is that we chose to sin on our own behalf. And it actually looks a lot like blood. I assure you, it's not blood. And so the more and more we sinned, the more and more dirty we became. And so I'm going to try to get this as dirty as possible. You see the difference there? Is that clear enough, those of you in the back? Can you see that that's actually a dirty rag? Good, good. So this is the effect of our sin. I'm going to dirty that up even more. This is a bad idea that I actually brought my iPad up on here. <laughs> I don't know what it would do if it got it dirty. And a white shirt. Yeah, it was a terrible day to wear a tie and a white shirt. So here we go. To illustrate that, this is, this is the effect of our sin. I'm going to not have that stain the carpet. So here we go. This is our stain. This is our sin right here. There it is. So you could illustrate right now. I want you to think through your own life. A specific sin in your life. Maybe it was today. Maybe it was yesterday. Maybe it was this, this last week. And almost attach that sin to this. Think about your own life. Maybe your stain is a hard heart. Maybe your stain is an inability to forgive or a secret lust or a bitter spirit or just anger in general or greed or selfishness or jealousy or any one of these things. I'm going to attach my selfishness to this. I am a selfish person. That's right. I am not perfect. Believe it or not, I'm a pastor, but I am not perfect and so attach one of your sins to this and think about your own life. And we're going to come back to this. I'm going to take off my gloves here and hope it doesn't stain. The prophet Isaiah put it this way in Isaiah 64.6. He says, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like dirty rags are like dirty rags, just like this rag. No matter what you can offer to God, even our best actions are like dirty rags compared to a perfect and holy God. That's Isaiah 64, 6. And since the beginning of mankind, we have been in desperate 
need of God's mercy. Well, what is mercy? Uh, Very clearly defined, it's God's compassionate love for his people that leads him to do what it can't do for itself. There are similar words for God's mercy like compassion or loving kindness or favor or steadfast love. And we see God's, uh, God's mercy in action throughout all of scripture. Uh, just a few examples I want to share with you right now. In Exodus 34, 6 through 7, if, uh, if you would open your Bibles, you can open there if you'd like. It's not where we're going to be all today. But Exodus 34, 6 through 7, this is where... Moses essentially goes up to the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments from God. He takes a reprieve from the Israelites. He receives God's law, and he comes back down to find the Israelites are perfect. No, is the Israelites are now in a state of idolatry, and they are now worshiping a golden calf. And so what does Moses do? He pleads for God's mercy, and this is what he says. The Lord, a merciful and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Now, I, if I were Moses, I would have been furious. Like, what are you doing? But instead, Moses turns to God and asks for his mercy. It was Exodus 34, 6 through 7. And then in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus talks about how great it is to have people who are merciful in our life. He says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And then one of my favorite verses on mercy is is in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us with, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Hallelujah, right? He made us alive in Christ by the riches of his mercy. And so realize today that God is the giver of mercy. God is the giver of mercy. And if he's the giver of mercy, what we should be asking ourselves is, how do I get it? Like, I want that. And so that's what, probably, what David was asking himself. If you missed last week, we just entered into a new sermon series entitled Confessions, Erasing uh, erasing Shame and Experiencing Renewal. And so we just covered King David's sin in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12, where uh, he had just committed the sin, uh, breaking essentially five out of the Ten Commandments. And so today we'll be exploring the first two verses of perhaps the most well-known chapter of confession, which is found in Psalm 51. David just committed his act of murder and adultery. And this is why the heading for Psalm 51 reads, To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. He abused his power and position as king by violating Bathsheba. She becomes pregnant. David then brings her husband Uriah back from deployment, tells him to clean up, go home, be with his wife. He refuses. 
So again, he puts Uriah on the front of the battlefield and tells the troops to pull back, essentially uh, giving him a death sentence. The Lord then sends his servant, the prophet Nathan, to expose and confront David's sin. And this song was David's response after his confrontation. I imagine David, so Pastor Jeff just preached that last sermon on Nathan's confrontation. David, being so distraught, he went to bed that night, couldn't sleep, got up in the middle of the night, and was writing this psalm. That's what I like to believe. And so remember, David is described as a righteous man through Scripture. In Acts 13, 22, says, I have found in David the son of Jesse a man after my heart who will do all of my will. And then Psalm 48 says, I, this is David's talking, I delight to do your will, O my God, your law is within my heart. And this is a man who's broken five out of the ten commandments. David deserved death. According to God's laws, deliberate and premeditated sins, such as adultery and murder, were referred to as sins of the high hand. The punishment was being cut off from God's people, and oftentimes that meant death. So do you think after all of this, he might have been desperately aware that he needed God's mercy right now? Absolutely. And so David's response is in Psalm 51, and we're about to read it right now. So let me, uh, if you would, open up your Bibles to Psalm 51, if you haven't already. We don't have it all up on the screen. We only have a couple verses. So if you would, open to Psalm 51 in your Bibles. And we're just going to read the first nine verses here. David says, Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion. Wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self, and you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness, Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all of my guilt. So this is David's response after Nathan confronted him. He completely relied on God's mercy, appealing to God's graciousness, his abundant compassion, and his faithful love. So first, David appealed to the character of God. He appealed to the character of God. The first verse, he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. It's really interesting to me that David doesn't start with confession, but rather goes to the heart of the matter and towards the grace of God. He could have brought up, I think about David's life and what he's already done. He could have brought up his 
uh, his life as a child, his faith as a child, his loving kindness towards uh, his sheep as, as a shepherd. He could have brought up his victory over killing Goliath. He could have brought up the multiple battles that he won in God's name. But instead, he had despised the word of God and counted God's wisdom as worthless. And so he appeals to the character of God instead. Confession begins with a proper understanding of who God is. You have to know who you're talking to before you confess. It's like if, if I really wanted to take a trip out to um, uh, on a lake, and I really wanted to borrow a friend's boat, and I go ask a friend of mine who is terrified of water, who does not own a boat, hey, can I borrow your boat? My friend says, I hate water. I don't have a boat. It matters who you're talking to. Because if you're asking someone to give you something, that person actually has to be that person. And that's what David is appealing to right here of God. He knows who God is, and he's appealing to his character. He says, be gracious to me. Have mercy. Show favor on me. And this, this often appears in lament psalms as the psalmist seeks God's favor. This is a plea according to who God is, not who David is. He feels like he can ask God this because he knows who he is. And specifically, David appeals to God's mercy, his steadfast love, and his abundant compassion. Like, praise God, that's who God is. The first thing is his steadfast love. We want to stick here for a second. His steadfast love. This is the Hebrew word hesed. And this is a beautiful word in Hebrew. It essentially means God's loyal love. This combines love, generosity, and enduring commitment all in one. This is a promise-keeping loyalty that is motivated by deep personal care. Anybody know the story of Ruth in the Bible by a show of hands? Ruth was a woman who was a foreigner married to an Israelite man. Tragically, her husband dies, as does her brother, as his brother, and so does his father. All she has left is her mother-in-law, Naomi, who has nothing to give her. Naomi tells Ruth to go back to her people, but instead Ruth promises to stay with Naomi and take care of her. As Ruth is taking care of Naomi, people see the work that Ruth is doing, and they call this an act of hesed love. It's a deep commitment. It's not, it's not conditional or based on our worth. Rather, it's an expression of God's character. Praise God this is who he is. Because if it was based on us, what would happen? <laughs> that, covenant, that covenant is broken. Praise God for who, the, who, who he is. Because he is a promise keeper. He is a promise keeper. Anybody married by a show of hands? Look at your spouse right now. Wow, a lot of married people right now. So you took those vows. In those wedding vows, that was said love. It's the type of love that God has for his own. It's a commitment. And we see this in Numbers 14. Again, Moses is pleading on the Israelites' behalf. Think about when the Israelites were on their way to the promised land after fleeing Egypt. They sent spies into Canaan who came back saying the land looks amazing. 
uh, but a discouraging report saying there's no way that we could actually succeed and attain that land. As a result, the people rebel against their leader, Moses, and attempt to stone him, guys. They attempt to stone Moses. And the Lord steps in, saves Moses, but then Moses pleads with God to forgive the people for their lack of faith and rebellion. And this is his prayer. Please pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love has said. Just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. Again, I don't think I'd be like Moses in that situation if I was just trying, if I was almost stoned. But he appeals to the Hesed love of God. Psalm 136 also talks about this. It begins by saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love, Hesed, endures forever. His love endures forever. This is repeated 26 times in that psalm. 26 times in that psalm, his Hesed endures forever. When we, we confess our sins to God, we're not suggesting that we deserve his mercy. We are instead admitting that while our character wavers between faithful and faithless, his character remains fully committed to demonstrating his said love. Praise God for that. The next thing, he appeals to God's abundant compassion. This is the Hebrew word, Rechamim, I hope I'm not butchering that. Rechamim, his abundant, abundant compassion. This is a similar for a Hebrew word for womb. So if you're showing compassion for someone, it's similar to the love a mother shows compassion and love to the child in her womb. It could also be translated as the greatness of your compassion. And he says, your abundant compassion is enormous. Um, I, have, I have a toddler, Logan, you guys have seen him before, and uh, his way of explaining how something is big is either by using his arms, and he'll say, it's this big, or this big, this big, you know, it's, it's always this big, or he'll just say, it's big, 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 <laughs> I see it right back there. And so that's how big God's compassion is for us. It's immeasurable. I love how his mercy is more. There's a song, his mercy is more. These are the lyrics of this song. What love could remember no wrongs we have done? Omniscient, all-knowing, he counts not their sum. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore, our sins they are many, his mercy is more. His mercy is more than our sins. And then last is Psalm 103, 9, 8 through 10. Psalm 103. This is how the psalmist describes God's abundant compassion. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. What sin is greater than God's mercy? We're not surprising God by what we do, as if God is 
shocked by our sin. He's never seen this before. Are we so arrogant to think that our sins are beyond God's mercy and grace to blot out? That our sin is unlike anything that he's ever seen? Let's be honest by recognizing we have all come to the giver of mercy in one of two ways. Either thinking we have no need or desire for his remedy, or in complete desperation. You can fall into one of two traps with, with this. Is the, the first one is a pride trap, where you're thinking, I don't need God's mercy, I'm not a sinner. If you aren't convicted, ask God to break you. Ask God to break your pride. David arrived at this place as a broken man. This should be the prayer of us each and every single day. What day don't we sin, right? What day don't we sin? And once you live your life by the model of this prayer that David gives, you live a life of restoration and intimacy with a God who just wants you back. He just wants you back. You don't get to this place on the road of pride. You have to be broken and humbly approach the God of the universe. The other road, that, the other trap that we can make is the shame trap. And shame, don't, don't get down on yourself if you sin. Appeal to God's character. Don't sit in your shame because shame is isolating. And when you feel like you're alone and God doesn't love you, which isn't true at all, that's a very dangerous place to be in. If anything, this passage gives us hope that even a murderer, even a, an adulterer, found grace and mercy at the hands of a loving God. Before you get caught in the shame trap, know that there is community and renewal available, available to you directly after you sin. There's no magic spell. There's no magical process you have to, you have to go through. It's just a submissive and broken heart offered up to God. Remember that rag? It's, it's this offered up to God. Isn't that something? That God wants this. He wants you, a broken, dirty sinner, offered up humbly and submissively to God. So how do we receive God's mercy? By appealing to the character of God. And by appealing to the cleansing power of God. The second one, we need to appeal to the cleansing power of God. Look at the second verse in Psalm 51. Starting from verse 1, it says, According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. The second verse, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. David understands that if God will have mercy on him, God will blot out his transgressions, to wash away his iniquity, to cleanse his sins. This is David's main plea in this psalm. God can't stand idly by giving mercy to David without actually cleansing him from his sin. Something has to happen to this sin for the restoration to actually happen. God's mercy leads to his action. He talks about his blotting, his, his washing, his cleansing. If you're writing on a scroll, anybody have a scroll at home? 
uh, you, you're, you're blotting something out when you're washing it away. Washing is the same as laundering clothes. Everybody washes their clothes. Blotting and washing reveal a picture of complete renewal. Essentially, this, this person is dirty and needs to be cleaned. It's not just like, it's not a dab, right? It's, it's a complete soaking of God's mercy. It's a complete cleansing. It's baptized, like it's completely gone. In his request for cleansing, the psalmist asks God to forget one of three failings. The first one is my transgressions, which means uh, to go against or rebel. The second one is his iniquity or guilt, which means to bend or twist. And the third one is my sin, which means to miss the mark or goal. He's using every expression that he can to not get this wrong, to, ex- to explain his nature of his depravity, of his inability to go up to the standard of who God is. He recognizes that he is not prepared to have any contact with a perfectly holy and righteous God. And he knows his soul needs more than a ritual bath to remove all of the dirt, all of the filth. Like he needs more than a tide stick and some bleach. He needs, the, he needs God's mercy to completely soak him, to cleanse away his sin. The question is, will God wash it away? Aren't these the questions we ask ourselves when we sin? Can God do this? Can God wash away my sins, a dirty sinner, me, a person who is depraved? Will he do it? And a person we haven't talked much about yet is Jesus. So I want to I look at uh, an example of Jesus' mercy. So if you would, open up to Mark 10. Mark 10. We want to look at a, a case study for how Jesus used mercy in his interactions. I want you to listen to this story as I read it. This is like when Jesus was leaving Jericho in Mark chapter 10 with his disciples. And Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting on the side of a road. So that's, that's the context. In Mark 10, uh, chapter 10, verse 47, it says, And when he, Bartimaeus, heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I'm going to stop right there. Isn't it interesting that he is called the son of David? After all this time, David, who's committed adultery and murder, over time, this became a title associated with the coming Savior. And Bartimaeus calls out to the Messiah begging for mercy. Show me compassion. I can't save myself. Show me mercy, son of David. In uh, verse 48, continuing here, he says, And many rebuked him, Bartimaeus. Many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. And he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Bartimaeus knows that there's, there's not anything that he can do to fix his problem. When you're in that place, when I'm in that place, you can't clean yourself up, do whatever. You essentially will do whatever it takes, no matter how people look at you, how you're perceived. You will do anything you can to plead to God to save you from your sins, to save you from your blindness in Bartimaeus' position. And then in verse 49, it says, And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. 
And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Where no one wanted to show this man mercy, they didn't want to listen to him, he was an outcast, Jesus calls him near, and he has mercy on Bartimaeus. God is going to wash away the stain, wash away the iniquity, and this should be our prayer right here, is Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That should be our prayer each and every morning. If we keep this prayer before us, it will keep our hearts from judging others and open to the mystery and the wonder that God is able to heal every human heart, beginning with my own. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And we're going to see how we can wash away our own sin right here. And so, um, got my dirty rag right here. If you remember, we're going to bring it back to this dirty rag. And I've got another bucket, so I'm coming down. Always feels weird to come off the stage. So here we've got another bucket, and I've got it labeled as my tie goes in there. It's labeled God's mercy. God's mercy. So we've got our dirty rag. I'm going to put my gloves on again. And if God is able, he's just, he's willing to forgive us, if we are submissive towards him, we are going to come, he, he will completely wash and cleanse away our sin. Show the before picture one more time. There it is. And as I'm washing it away, hopefully washing it away, I'm going to read this last, this last uh, verse right here. This is only possible through one man, and that's Jesus Christ. Jesus' sacrificial blood was the revelation of God's cleansing power. In 1 John 1, this is, this is beautiful. If you want to write down 1 John 1, it's a beautiful example of what he does. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And he is able to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Did it work? There you go. Hallelujah. <laughs> I'm just happy that it worked. That's great. So there you go. I'm splashing all over. I won't get Ryan's guitar. He might kill me if I get his guitar. So there we go. I'm just happy that that worked. That's great. This is what God is able to do. Where it seems your stain is too much for God, is it too much for God? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I don't think we're dripping anymore. Praise God that this is not in our own effort. It's through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone that he is able to cleanse us from all sin and all of our iniquity. Can I get a praise God for that? 
I almost feel like a street performer right now. It's weird. That's what God is able to do. We praise God for that. God has what your soul needs. If you would only confess, think back to the sin that you had attached to that rag, God is able to cleanse you from that selfishness, from that secret lust, from that anger, from that jealousy, from anything else in your life that is holding you back from a renewed life in Jesus Christ. We want to confess it. If we're talking about confession, this is what it takes. Because when we do, we unleash his healing power into our lives. And now I can't use my tablet because I got water on it. That's great. (laughs) God is the giver of mercy. How do we receive it? By a magic spell? Secret words? No, it's by appealing to God's character and his character alone knowing that he is able to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So your, your homework today, and maybe this week, is to identify one sin in your life. Call out that one sin in your life and give it to Christ. Own up to it, ask for forgiveness, and experience renewal right now. So as the, as the band is coming up, I'm going to invite them to come up. We're just going to have a a short time of of confession. Just a a short time of of silence as we go before the Lord. And as, as there's going to be a time of silence, ask God that he would identify that specific area in your life that you need to own up to. And think about that one sin that may be holding you back. And pray this prayer of, Lord, have mercy on me. Fill me with your love. Lord, have mercy on me. Fill me with your love. So let's take a, a, short, uh, a short minute and go before the Lord. Father, we recognize that we are sinners in need of you. Lord, we need your mercy. We need you. There's nothing that we can do that will cleanse us from our own sin. So we humbly come before you, Lord, saying that we, we need you. We recognize that uh, we are dirty. We need cleansing. 
So Lord, we, we thank you for the kind of God that you are. A God who has abundant compassion and steadfast love for his people. We cling to who you are rather than to what we've done. Father, we recognize the kind of God that you are and we see that there's nothing else that we can do to cleanse us from our own sin. So Lord, we, we say have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. Renew us, cleanse us, wash us of our iniquity and restore our relationship with you. Pray, Lord, that if there's any shame or pride in our life, that you would remove that. Pray that you would renew our souls, that you would come into our life in a real way. Put our faith in you, Jesus, knowing that it was through your sacrifice, through your resurrection, that you were able to defeat the chains of death and sin. And we cling to you, Jesus. We love you perfect holy name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.